coming up on Stonation. The next thing that I wanted to talk to you about is maintenance. So basically the only maintenance on this is there's two things you want to keep an eye on. One is the coolant level and check it once in a while because if you did form a leak for whatever reason, of course, you're going to lose your coolant. Um, when it comes to the furnace, most of the storytellers right now are running the, what we call the D5WS furnace. It runs about a 1,500 to 2,000 hour maintenance schedule. Okay. So um, every, depending how you use the rig, maybe once a year or once every two years, depending on how often you use it, um, it, it should be serviced. Before we begin this episode, first a word from our sponsors. Without these sponsors, Stonation wouldn't be able to give you the content that you love. So thank you for listening to them and thank you for supporting Stonation. Hey everybody, it's John with Owl and I have a quick PSA if you own any Owl gear. That is keep your back end tight. No, I'm not selling you a subscription or a membership to a gym. I'm talking about the nuts and bolts on your Owl carriers. When you go off-roading or any automotive in general, things can loosen over time. Owl carriers are designed to be tight the way they are when they're installed all the time. It's how we engineer it. There's some pretty complicated stuff I won't go into here, but if those bolts get loose, it can actually affect how the gear rides on the back of your van. So every few months or even sooner, if you do a ton of off-road or washboard roads, you want to go back there and just check the bolts on your owl gear and make sure everything's tight. And at this point, we've got over 70 million miles driven by customer was with owl products. At this point, almost entirely problem-free, but if you want to keep your journey problem-free, make sure everything's tight and checked. Again, this is John with Al, and if you have any other questions, reach out. Today's tech tip about surge protector compatibility is brought to you by Volta Power Systems. A power surge is, as the name would suggest, an intense surge of power that can cause damage to anything connected to it, including your appliances and RV electrical system. While it's very rare when your vehicle is connected to shore power, there's always a chance that a power surge could occur. RV plug-in style surge protectors may be used with your Volta system. However, some more complex models may not be compatible with the Volta system. When plugged into shore power, your Volta system always samples incoming power for safety before it can begin charging. Some surge protectors can interrupt that process, preventing your system from charging through the shore power connection. If your plug-in surge protector doesn't indicate an issue, but your Volta system isn't connecting to the attached shore power, there's a simple test you can do. Remove the surge protector and plug the shore cord directly into the vehicle. If your system is now able to receive shore power, it may be that your surge protector is likely not compatible with your Volta system. Thanks for listening to Volta's Tip of the Week. Hi, we're Freedom Van Gogh, van builders and upfitters located in Jacksonville, Florida. We specialize in helping our customers upgrade their adventure, whatever that means to them. Some people are looking for a full, semi-custom build-out, suited best for those looking for a stylish, comfortable adventure van, but has a more rugged application. Others are seeking to personalize their already awesome storyteller or revel with upgrades such as suspension, bumpers, lighting, tires, and cargo carriers, as well as other products that help make a van their own. Some are also DIY builders looking for help on the heavy lifting, such as windows, rooftop ACs, or electrical systems, and other projects they'd just rather hand over to professionals. Every van lifer is unique and are in need of different things that'll make their experience better. Our goal is to send our customers down the road happy and excited to go on their next adventure with the assurance that their van is better than when they brought it to us, regardless of the level of build we have to do. 
At La Mesa RV, we love helping people discover new adventures in a Storyteller Overland. We offer the entire line of Storyteller Overland vans, classic, stealth, or beast. If you can't wait to get your hands on a Storyteller, give us a call at 800-496-8778 or check us out at LaMesaRV.com. We'll be glad to help get your name on a factory-fresh unit. With nine stores across the country, La Mesa RV is a proud Storyteller Overland dealer where we help you find the adventure in life. Welcome to another episode of Stone Nation, a production of Park Media. Before I introduce today's guest, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share, and leave a five-star review. And if you find this podcast useful in any way and want to pay us the ultimate compliment, head on over to our Patreon page where you can subscribe to be a classic, stealth, or beast mode subscriber. How's it going, Stone Nation? Welcome back to another episode. I'm super excited to be able to sit down and talk to Jim Rickson, the founder and owner of Rickson Enterprises. Jim is the guy who distributes the S-Bar heaters in our storytellers. And as you know, the fall and winter season is upon us, and I wanted to be able to arm you with as much information on the best practices for maintenance, troubleshooting, and overall knowledge on how our heating systems are designed. This episode is packed full of useful information, and in my opinion, a must listen. Because hey, who wants to deal with their heater not working when it's cold outside, especially if it could be prevented, right? So sit back, relax, and please welcome Jim Rickson to the Stonation family. Um, to be honest with you, I've, uh, after 36 years, um, I try to stay pretty much in the background mm. as my son pretty much kind of, he pretty much runs the company mm-hmm. and I'm here to answer questions from whoever 1985 through <laughs> 2010. Um, but yeah, um, I'm pretty well versed on everything that goes on here. I am, uh, I'm the guy they turn to when, when nobody seems to know or remember certain aspects from years ago. Mm-hmm. So as we move into the new systems, of course, I'm still here. And Mike will eventually be taking that over probably in about a year or so. Gotcha. So you're the owner then? I am the owner. Okay. Michael's my son and uh, started the company in 1985. Oh, wow. And uh, we moved into RV. We started in the uh, marine business and moved into the RV business in 97 with Class A motorhomes. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, I hooked up with Eberschbacher, also known as SBAR, mm-hmm. short term. And we started developing Class A motorhome systems at that time. And then in 2008, we started designing the small applications for Sprinter vans. Mm. And in 2010, we, we hooked up with our first company and uh, started selling systems. Wow, that's really cool. So you helped design and engineer everything. We did. Actually, our goal has always been in this company, um, we take a given heating system, uh, in this case, an Eberschbacher unit, and we design our control system around it. Oh, okay. So, and I, and I had patented, I had patented those systems up until '97, mm-hmm. um, and of course, you're going to see other configurations coming out of the market. But for all of our years of experience, really, the Eberschwacker unit far superior to just about anything we've ever seen. Yeah. And we'll get into that a little later about what it's capable of. Mm-hmm. But um, we feel that it's the best heating system on the market, and with the new S3. Uh, with the longer service life 
and the ability with Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. we think we're pretty much ahead of the curve. Yeah, that Wi-Fi is pretty cool. It is. Because I had a... I had a Travato before this, and they put a Truma in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it runs off protein, pro, propane, but that's a 2018 model, mm-hmm. so I don't know where SBAR was at. But I think SBAR, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's more tailored for diesel engines, right? Well, for you got to remember, fuel. SBAR, a little bit of history on SBAR. SBAR um, has been building heating systems for 100 years. Mm. And so um, their original heating system was gasoline. And so over the years, as they've developed hydronic and hot air systems, and we should qualify that, hydronic system heats a coolant that then makes heat and or hot water for drinking or taking a shower, mm-hmm. whereas an airtronic or an air system creates just hot air. Mm-hmm. We focus on the hydronic systems. We sell both, um, but we focus on the hydronic system because it really gives you the most bang for your buck. You get one heater, you get hot air, you get hot water, um, limitless hot water if you follow the parameters mm-hmm. and and with the new s3 system as quiet as it is and with our new water pump our goal in this system was to make something that that you can't hear mm. so the goal is to be quieter than everybody else mm-hmm. longer lasting and the ability to look at the furnace with our wi-fi so we can communicate with the customer yeah and that's that's what the development was that's cool. So is the new S3, is that, do you know if that's going to be in the new 2022 Storytellers? They are. They're in the Storytellers now. They have been since last year. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so the, uh, the switchover, I think, was about a year ago. Um, everything that's going to be on the market, the rest, all of 2021 and 2022 going forward will be the S3. Okay. Um, and again, it has, um, it has the ability to run as what we call a variable speed system. So... Most heating systems you're going to see on the market um, will go a little stage, high and low. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that, that creates a problem because either the furnace is running on high or the furnace is running on low. And these are things you can hear. Mm-hmm. With the S3, that is a variable speed. It goes from, this is called a 5 kilowatt heater uh, as, as a reference. Okay. This will go from 1.5 kilowatt to 5 kilowatt and all the way back down to 1.5 kilowatt. And you won't hear it change. It'll mm. just, the, the speed changes, but there's no staging. Okay. If it shuts off at 1.5 kilowatt, it starts at 1.5 kilowatt. So you don't get this high-low demand, which is what people can hear. Gotcha. And so you're actually, when you're talking about that, that's the actual flame that's creating that's the, act, the heat, that's the not of, the fan. That's the amount of flame that's in this unit here. This unit here. Um, this unit is the, is the workhorse of what we do. It has the ability to run from 1.5 to 5 kilowatt, and, and, and it's basically producing heat. Mm-hmm. The heat's heating a glycol mixture, which is our coolant, right? and that's being circulated for use inside the rig. Um, this unit here, from what we've seen so far, um, there's just nothing like it. It's ability to run long-term. Uh, we have a test unit out here with 9,500 run hours on it. Um, still going strong. So we think we have the best on the market and uh, the quietest on the market. Nice. What about the actual fan? Uh, so if you look at the fan unit, if you can grab yeah. that for me here. So when we developed this fan unit, we developed it from scratch. And uh, this fan unit, we had looked um, at all kinds of fan units on the market. And the, one of the things you'll notice about this unit, a couple things. Um, this has got a double four-inch outlet. You can have a, a flush plate. You can have a single four. 
You can have it. These are openings in the oh, front. Okay. So you can have three openings, two openings, one opening, a flush plate, mm-hmm. all interchangeable with the same unit. And then we went out and found a fan that gave us the maximum amount of push with the least amount of noise. Okay. And I think these run about 265 CFM, if that means anything to somebody. Um, variable speed. The variable speed is a uh, is, is produced through our system. So the fan and the and the unit controller, which is this thing right here. Yeah, we don't have that in the storytellers. You will. You won't have this in the storytellers because this is designed as a as a complete standalone, right? Mm-hmm. So in the storytellers, what you have right now is a four switch. Yeah, like a thermostat, basically. Right, a thermostat and a four switch. And now with the new storytellers, I think you're going to have your own control system. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's what's coming. And I can get you. We'll get one of these four switches out. This is the this is what you would standardly see in a system if you bought it. Mm-hmm. And the storytellers is still a four switch, which is going to be going to what we call a multiplex system. Okay. And that'll be happening with the new model year, I think. Okay. Um, but regardless, um, the fan speed control, the unit itself. If you looked at the core of this unit, is a full flow core. What that means is that if you look at the radiator in your car, it's a full flow core. That means you get the maximum amount of efficiency for the amount of heat you're pushing in it. And so in this case, most air handlers are what we call tube and fin. It's a tube with fins on it. Mm-hmm. This air handler is all honeycomb. Hmm. So you gain about 25 more percent heat for the amount of air you push. Oh, nice. So these are things that we had built and designed that, that gave us, we thought was an edge mm-hmm. on the system and, uh, and the ability to push a lot of air if you need it. Mm-hmm. The storytellers, do they have one or two on the, I forget what you called it, on the back? On the ducting? Yeah. So right now they have one. one. Okay. The new model year. Mm -hmm. um, One of the things that we were concerned about was the ability to get heat to the back of the van. Mm -hmm. Because the whole goal is to push the heat where you need it. Mm -hmm. So for the next model change, this will be a a four-inch vent right where the seat is. Mm -hmm. And then a three-inch vent goes clear to the back of the van nice. to spread the heat back there because you have a lot of windows and stuff in the back of that van. So they've, they've made that change, and, and so far they've been telling me it's wonderful because now you're actually pushing the heat where you need it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Cool. Um, so what is uh, all this other stuff? So basically, if you, if you look in your, in your rig and you're looking around for stuff and you see something like this, this is a water-to-water heat exchanger. Um, it produces the domestic hot water in the system. It allows you to make continuous hot water if you hold your flow rates at about 0.8 gallons a minute. What does that equate to when you pull out the handle? So basically, if you're taking a shower, and it really depends on what kind of shower head you have, Mm -hmm. so a little under a gallon a minute of flow, Mm -hmm. um, this unit will give you continuous hot water. Okay. And the goal is to meet the flow with the furnace, and most people in, in... and these types of rigs try to take as short a shower as possible because yeah. they're trying to conserve water. But for some of them that are plugged in, literally, if you match that parameter, you can take a shower all day. As long as you have water and you have uh, fuel, mm-hmm. it's endless. Wow. And this is what they call a double wall heat exchanger. We brought this heat exchanger to market in 2000. Uh, actually, we brought it to market in 97. 
and uh, we were the only ones doing it at the time. It's a double wall heat exchanger with a positive vent on the side, and you can see the little vents here on the side. Okay. And what that does is it allows us to run any kind of coolant in our system we want because it's a double wall with a positive vent, so you never have cross-contamination. Mm. If you look at what some of the rigs are doing, they run what they call a boiler or safe antifreeze with a single wall. And the problem with that is, is if you ever have a breach, then you breach into your domestic water. Mm. And, and they do that because they're not very efficient, so they can't, they can't get the flow rate they need. Mm -hmm. So we've always done it this way. We'll always do it this way. It's the safest way to do it. And this, is, um, this heat exchanger here is about 30,000 BTUs. So just, just for my clarification, so you have the glycol loop coming in here, and then the water is here? Right. So if you look at these two, we can set these two out here so you can see them. So what you have here on your domestic water heat exchanger, you're going to pick a side. Mm -hmm. This is going to be your coolant side. Mm -hmm. This is going to be your domestic water oh, okay. side. So the coolant's going to go through one side, which is a level of plates, and then the, the domestic water is going to go through the other side, which is a level. They don't, they don't cross uh, coolant, but they do cross heat. Okay. So no mixing, but 95% efficient. Oh, wow. The reason this one is smaller is because this does not a double plate heat exchanger, but mm -hmm. this is for the heat off the engine. Oh, okay. So the smaller heat exchanger allows you to have engine coolant on one side, house coolant on the other. Mm -hmm. You're not mixing the two coolants, which is what they don't want to see. Right. But you're still getting 30,000 BTUs of heat crossover. Wow. So very efficient, very stainless, good to 300 PSI. I've, the only time I've ever seen these ever leak or be damaged is on this one here if they have their domestic water in here and it freezes. Mm. If you have it full of water and it freezes in the wintertime, it gets cold enough, you can damage it. Okay, good to know. So this is uh, next to the other components underneath the seat, and then this is an in engine, right? Right. This okay. would be outside the, the rig. This would be on the outside of the rig. Um, the rest of these components would normally be inside the rig. Okay. Because you're going to have, and we can move this up here, and I'll show it to you. Oh, this is heavy. Yeah, they're, they're stainless and brass, or stainless and copper, actually. Um, so this unit here, if you look in your rig, this is going to be um, your expansion tank. This is what holds the capacity of coolant that you're using. There's a little over two gallons of coolant in this system. What kind of coolant is it? Like, so, where do we buy it if we need more? So basically, um, we use... Um, well, the, the condition that we say is you can run anything in here you want, right? So a Prestone or any kind of automotive coolant oh, is really? perfectly fine. Go to any auto parts store. I think they're running, um, I think Storyteller is running, um, I think it's a Prestone. Okay. And, and if you go in there and you look at the Prestone, you can buy Prestone that mixes with anybody's coolant. It's listed right on the on the jug, and you always want to buy a 50-50. So it's already pre-mixed. Okay. You don't have to find water or distilled water. You just pour it in. Nice. So th it's, it's the easiest way for us to, for the customer to help. You know, if you have a special boiler antifreeze, you have to go find it. Who's got mm -hmm. it? Nobody knows. Just We didn't want to go there. Right. Um, so this holds about two gallons. This um, unit right here also is where the electric backup is in our system. So if you pull that cover off there, you would see an element in there. So when you're plugged in, you can have electric backup. Now, some of the com companies don't use that. I don't think Storyteller uses this. They have a pretty big battery bank. Oh, yeah. We they have one, probably like, the biggest. <laughs> yeah, probably the biggest. So they really don't need the electric backup. Yeah. But it was, it's an option. 
So you might not see this box on the end of the tank. And this would be mounted inside. It would be um, usually filled within about, oh, within a half inch or three quarters of an inch from the top. That's mm -hmm. a radiator cap setup. It's a four pound release cap and this hose will go back outside so it can vent back and forth as you heat and cool the coolant. Mm -hmm. It'll expand and contract. Right. This vents outside. Gotcha. So that's your expansion tank. And I don't know that this, this is our, this is our coolant pump here. Um, we had this pump uh, specifically built for us. One of the issues we found in the industry was noise with the standard pumps that you see out there. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we just didn't like the flow rate. We didn't like the noise. Mm. So we had this pump specifically built. It took about six months to get it. Um, it has about twice the push of a Bosch pump, which is what you would normally see with an Everest Walker heater. Okay. And it makes no noise. Wow. It is dead quiet. A lot of times, the only way you can tell if this pump is running is if you put your hand on it. And it has a dial on the back, so you can dial up the flow rate. Oh, wow. Is, do we have that in the Storyteller? It is in the Storyteller. Do you know where? What's that? Do you know where it's at? Um, this is going to be mounted under the bench. Okay. So under the bench on a Storyteller, you're going to find this, 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 and this with this. This is usually mated with this right next to it. Okay. Um, this would be outside, mm -hmm. and this would be outside. Okay. Where is this at? The, on the Storyteller, I believe it is mounted on the driver's side, just back of the driver's door. Oh, okay. If you look at it, the best way to find the furnace, if you're looking for it, mm -hmm. is to simply look for the exhaust pipe coming out. Yeah. It's usually about three feet long. Mm -hmm. It'll have a muffler in it, a little uh, square muffler. Just follow it. It'll go right to the unit. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I thought this was actually underneath inside the seat, but mm -hmm. no. Nope. Okay. This, it's mounted outside. Um, and again, this unit, when we show, when we demo our systems, like we have a demo next door, this furnace sits right next to this air handler and right next to the expansion tank and right next to the water pump. We run all three of them right next to each other so that the customer can hear just how quiet it is. Because mm. we'd be carrying on a conversation like we are right now and you'd be going, you wouldn't think it was running. That's how, if I was to delineate between our system and anybody else's that's out there, either the Russian, either the Russian furnace, which is the Binar furnace that's called Timberline. Oh, yeah, yeah. By Alwell Group. Mm -hmm. uh, that furnace or the, uh, the Snugger by the Chinese unit. Just listen to them run. There's a world of difference. And this is the quietest by far. So this will be outside. Um, again, our water pump will be inside, very quiet again. Um, there will be a new version of this coming out that's a little bit shorter mm -hmm. and only has two speed controls on it. Has has a setting for two speed controls. This one has five. We just didn't see the need for five speed controls when you're <laughs> setting up a pump. So yeah. it shortens the pump up, makes it a little easier for the... So what's the default when these get installed? When the they get installed, they're usually on four or five. Okay. If you look on the back, there's a one through four. And then if you go past four, it actually goes another click. Mm -hmm. So you're always going to see them between four and five. That's okay. pretty standard. Okay. Um, if you're down on one, you may be having problems with flow. And we've had that happen where somebody gets in there and turns on it. Mm -hmm. And you got to check the flow rate. You can actually see your flow rate in our systems. If you remove the cap, you mm -hmm. can look at the water. It'll well up like a spring. And you can see that. And if you see it welling up like a spring, you've got about the flow you need to have. If you don't see hardly anything, you might be a little bit low. Gotcha. And then we would go back and check the pump and make sure it's turned up. Okay. Good to know. Um, this is the mixing valve. This mixing valve 
allows us to control the temperature coming off the uh, heat exchanger. Because remember, the coolant temperature that this can run at is 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. Scalding is 120. Oh, geez. Okay. So we run this in conjunction with that on the domestic water side. And what this basically does is it lets your output be whatever you're comfortable with and, and not scald you. Okay. So the hot solution comes in one side, the cold solution comes in the other side, and you dial it to where you're comfortable. Okay. So if a customer calls up, he says, yeah, I can't get any hot water. First thing we'll do is see if somebody's turned that way down. Because you can turn it down enough, it may get cold. Mm -hmm. So um, mixing valve is important, and it allows the customer to have his output at his shower where he's comfortable. Okay. Yeah, um, I haven't heard of any complaints of a cold shower, cold water. Um, mine is, like, super hot, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it really is. I mean, this system... Um, if if you follow the flow rates properly, you can always overdrive your shower by running too big a flow, and then it's hard for it to keep up. Um, and another thing is the tanks on the Storyteller are inside. Mm -hmm. So that means they stay fairly, fairly warm compared to a tank outside that might be at 35 degrees. Right. So you run into problems there. They don't have that problem because they've kept everything inside. Now, is this the same glycol loop that goes around? So for the Storyteller, we, our gray tank is outside but it has a glycol loop around it so to help it not freeze. Right. So does does it come from this? It does. Okay. Yes. This If they have a gray tank outside, they have a loop going through it. It comes from this system. Okay. And then because we can also turn on a switch where we can have the heat from the engine get transferred, I guess, through this? Through this one. This one. And then it will heat our gray tank without having to turn the furnace on. Okay. So there may be a, uh, an app. And there may be an application in their setup, especially if you're driving, mm -hmm. yeah. where you can heat that loop and not have to worry about it. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that, um, I could double check this for you, but I'm thinking that it's probably a switch that basically turns on this pump. Yeah, I think, I think And right. circulates that coolant through that tank. Yeah. And without having to run the fans or anything else. Yeah. So, but it still goes through the it system. Does. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really cool. Yeah, because they say, when I first got my Storyteller, they said if you want hot water, just turn on either the furnace or turn on the, you know, heat from the engine about 10, 15 minutes prior, and you'll have the hottest water that you need. Yeah, and actually it's a little bit less now. It's about five to eight minutes. depending. Oh, really? Yeah, I've actually, if you start the system, because there's only two gallons in it, probably about five to eight minutes, you'll be able to take a hot shower. Oh, nice. Even better. Even better. Okay. So what else? I can't <laughs> So what else to the system do we need to know about? So on the uh, systems that are in uh, Storytellers available at this time with the D5WS, on the wall, you're going to see a four-switch controller, and we call it a four-switch controller. Um, it's, a, it's a simple controller. It's a little confusing for people at some times. If you look at this four-switch, you have system, furnace, hot water, and fan. And the first thing to remember is to make anything in our system work, you have to have the system switch on. The system switch is turned off, it kills everything. The second switch is going to be your furnace switch. If you want your furnace to run, you have to have that switch on. What happens if you just leave the system on and nothing else? You can leave the system on. Nothing will happen unless you make something happen. So if you have the system switch on and you call for heat, then the fans will come on because you have a high-low fan switch. Mm -hmm. If you uh, hit the hot water switch, the circulation pump will start, and you'll get hot water in the storyteller that comes off the engine. Mm -hmm. um, the reason that these switches are here is because if you're driving down the road, you don't need to have your furnace running, so now you have a switch to turn it off. You can turn on the system, 
hot water, you'll have hot water. You can turn on your fans, you'll have hot air. The furnace doesn't have to be running. And, and that's, that purpose is, to us is why we did it, because if you're driving and you're running the furnace, now you're sucking stuff into the furnace, whether it be road or whatever grime. Um, you don't have to run that. The heat exchanger, that heat exchanger that we run has almost twice the output of the furnace, plenty of heat to work with. So system has to be on to make anything work. Furnace you turn on usually when you're camping. Um, and then hot water is designed in the summertime. Say you wanted to make just hot water, then you don't want to run your fans. So you turn on the hot water switch. It heats to cooling up. Uh, it'll keep everything hot until you turn it off. So just for clarification, the furnace switch you have to have that on if you want this to create the heat correct okay got if, it if you want the furnace to make the heat source that the furnace has to be on not that you can't run the furnace with the engine running you can it doesn't hurt anything there's just no reason to mm. so furnace on when you're camping um engines running all the available uh systems are available to you whether the furnace switch is on or not and you, do, you would energize one of those. You would turn on the hot water switch to make hot water. You would turn on the fan switch and your thermostat to make heat. So I have a question with the force switch. So we were talking about resetting the system. Is that how you do it by turning the system on off? Is that how you reset it? Uh, correct. You can, uh, as far as turning the furnace off and on, you can turn the furnace off and on with this. If you turn the system off or on, it does exactly the same thing. If you had everything on and you walked into your rig and you hit the system switch, everything would shut down, including the furnace. Mm. You don't have to worry about it hurting anything. It's designed to go through a shutdown cycle. So the system is, is basically the master controller. It says, if you shut me off, everything's going to stop, even the furnace. If you have the system on and you turn the furnace off, of course, the furnace will stop, but everything else will keep working. Okay. And, and also on this system, um, in order to read your codes, um, there is a code reader on the older versions, right? On all the newer versions, which I think almost all of last year's storytellers mm -hmm. are all running the Wi-Fi. So yeah. code reading now is fairly straightforward and simple. Right. But to get the Wi-Fi, you have to have the water the hot water switch on right right you have to have something calling for heat okay. in order for the uh, wi-fi to be energized if you get to your wi-fi and it says it doesn't come up at all or it says uh there's a green active uh button on top or indicator if that's not on you need to turn on some call for heat and and again we did that because we didn't want it drawing on the batteries when it wasn't being used mm. so you don't have draw but in the storyteller really irrelevant when you talk about the amount of amperage they have to work with. So, right. but if it doesn't come up, you have to have something calling for heat. Okay. That makes sense. That's pretty clever actually. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cause not all vans are built like ours. In regards yeah. To no, production. some are very limited on their, on their supply and <laughs> yeah. everything draws, you know, and we just didn't want to have that a problem of having some draw on our system. Yeah. Really clever. <laughs> um, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about is maintenance. So I feel like just like, you know, with our chassis, we have to get oil changes, service A and B's, whatnot. Is there anything equivalent maintenance wise for this system? So basically the only maintenance on this is there's two things you want to keep an eye on. One is the coolant level and check it once in a while. Cause if you did form a leak for whatever reason, of course you're going to lose your coolant. Um, when it comes to the furnace, most of the storytellers right now are running the, what we call the D5WS furnace. 
a uh, little bit different design than this one, about the same size. It runs about a 1,500 to 2,000 hour maintenance schedule. Okay. So um, every, depending how you use the rig, maybe once a year or once every two years, depending on how often you use it, mm -hmm. um, it, it should be serviced. So is that something we can find on the Wi-Fi app? Um, you can't, well, it won't be on the Wi-Fi app, but if you go to our website at rickson.com, mm -hmm. um, there is a whole manual on the D5WS. Okay. And, and again, for a lot of customers, because when you service these units, they need to be removed to be serviced. So you have to remove the unit or have a service center remove it to service it. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a few customers out there that have actually, um, we had a program we started about six months ago. Um, Eberschbacher has a lot of the D5WS furnaces left over since they switched to this. So they've marked the price way down on them. Mm -hmm. So right now you can buy that WS furnace for about $700. Okay. Which in, a, in an application, you might spend 500 bucks for a service. Mm -hmm. You can now buy a, brand a whole new, new one, one mm -hmm. put it in. Very fairly easy to, to put in. You, everything on plugs here. Mm -hmm. And your coolant lines you pinch off and remove on the top. They, they remove their furnace, pop their new one in, take that furnace and send it to us, and we service it for $150. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, with shipping, you might be around $160 or $70. Yeah. But um, as an exchange rate for us, it's just something we do for the customer. Mm -hmm. um, makes it relatively cheap for them, and, they, and they're not down. Yeah. And then the whole goal is, especially if you're full-time, you don't want to be down, right? Yeah, that's the worst, especially when you're... In yeah. really cold weather. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and for that price, it's something they just carry with them. Okay. Um, with this furnace here, uh, with over 9,500 run hours on it and still not being serviced, um, we know now by the Wi-Fi exactly how many hours are on this furnace. So we can now judge when we should service a unit. So if you look at your phone and you open up your Wi-Fi and look at that system, it'll tell you how many hours are on it. Okay. So now you know that if you're up around five or 6,000 hours now, I'm not using it for the next couple of months, maybe I should service it. Mm -hmm. um, I think you'll be able to go well over 9,000 hours on it, but you're probably talking for most people, that's probably three or four years worth of use. Yeah. So the, the service schedule in this furnace is really off the charts when you think about something running mm -hmm. and how often you have to, you know, service it. Right. Um, I don't have, there's no way to really communicate the Wi-Fi setup because it's, it's basically on your phone. Mm -hmm. But the Wi-Fi allows us to look at every parameter on this furnace, including how many hours are on it, mm -hmm. uh, an automatic altimeter to 10,000 feet, mm -hmm. and also to look at and see in real time what everything is doing. Yeah. And for us, that's been that's been phenomenal. Yeah, because I know there's um, been a couple times where I turned the Wi-Fi on and I had fault codes. I can't remember what they were, but it you, still ran. It fine. still does well because when when we when we designed this system because it is CAN bus, um, we looked at the parameter of this furnace and there were some codes that Eberschwacher has in this furnace that are kind of false codes. Okay. So we basically told our Wi-Fi that says if you see these codes, you can leave them there, but let the furnace restart. They're, they're kind of a false code. Do you know the codes? I can get them. I don't have okay. them right in front of me, but there's two of them for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. and that way they can kind of see that that's kind of that code. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we did on our end of the Wi-Fi was we allowed the furnace to restart a couple of times because in some applications, if it's running on, say, low and at night and you're sleeping mm -hmm. and there's a lot of wind, you can push enough wind in to make the flame go out. Mm. So we had to automatically restart a couple of times just to make sure it wasn't something like that. Right. And then you would never know 
notice it. You'd see the code when you looked at your Wi-Fi, but it would have never stopped. Oh, and that, that was the goal. You know, you don't want to wake up in the middle of the night yeah. because the wind blew out the flame on your furnace. Yeah. So, uh, so we did that to help cover those applications. And then you can clear those codes right there by pushing a button and start over again. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is stored in the, in the, in the uh, furnace itself. So if we get it here and put it on our systems, we can see its history. Nice. This is really just for the end user so he can clear it and see if anything's fresh coming at him. Right. And so you can restart the heater through the Wi-Fi as well? Not not this year. Oh. We're going to probably see that coming next year. Okay. Our, our, our goal is to be able to communicate, right? And that's the, that's the next goal, is to be able to communicate with the furnace. And that gives us a couple of neat advantages over anybody else as it allows us to... And a lot of different applications maybe log into the furnace and look at it mm-hmm. with the customer. Because right now the customer sees it on his phone and he can send us a snapshot of that right. so we can see it, which is kind of nice. But it would be nice for us to be able to maybe get into that furnace and look at it. Yeah. Um, and again, with that application, you may see stuff that allows a, an end user to also send something. So because in the industry that you see today, everybody has the ability now to find out either where their rig is at or send a signal or a code. Mm-hmm. And we have that availability to us with our Wi-Fi system. So if we can integrate some of that into there, I think for the end users, uh, it's a really nice thing to have because it would be built in. Yeah. And they could send a text to their loved ones. Mm-hmm. The loved ones could send a text back or they could get on a computer and see where that rig's at. Mm-hmm. So uh, with Wi-Fi, um, being that the company we use has about 60 satellites. Oh, wow. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can be in a canyon. Mm-hmm. The unit will keep pinging until it catches a satellite, and that satellite will send that signal and send its coordinates to it. Wow. So you can kind of track where they're at. It was basically designed for chase vehicles, like on a Baja 500. Oh, okay. So they could find out where their vehicles were at. So we kind of were looking at integrating that same, because it's already part of who we work with with this company. Mm-hmm. We want to integrate that in, because I think it's a real add-on that would make people kind of interested. Oh, yeah. That's like next level right there. It is. It really is. <laughs> so next year, maybe? Yeah. So by next year, we hope to have something going on with that. Um, we'll see. Uh, I think we're close. And just uh, see how the public reacts to it. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, rave reviews. I think so, too. Yeah, I might have to upgrade. (laughs) And again, even all of our systems can be upgraded um, from the old system to the new system. Okay. You have to replace the furnace and the harness, which in a lot of applications isn't terrible. Uh, Fairly easy to do. Um, In some of our systems, um, again, in the storyteller, you're not going to see some of this stuff, but in some of our systems... um, you're going to have this power box right here. Okay. Um, this is basically your Wi-Fi setup here. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see this box in Storyteller setup. You may see some in the near future. depends on how the multiplex system is going to work. Um, it just allows an easy application for the, for the end user or the builder to install stuff because mm-hmm. it's basically plug and play. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know the features of the 2022 or not all of them, but some of them, but... I can't talk about it right now, but I think once this airs, then it won't be a yeah. problem. I think that I think what's coming in the future, um, and we want to stay on top of that too. We want to be part of that. We want to be have all the bells and whistles if somebody wants it, mm-hmm. and if somebody wants to add it on. So even if a builder decides not to do it, we want to we want to be able to add on that to the end user because for us that's that's really a big deal. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, user experience makes makes or breaks you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, to back up just a little bit on the maintenance part, so you hit your hours, you go to uh, an authorized dealer to do the maintenance. Mm-hmm. What exactly do they do when they do the maintenance? So anytime you, ma- you, know, you do maintenance on a furnace, you're basically replacing the burner screen. So the burner screen is sort of like... Um, and that's in here? And that's in here. Okay. So the burner screen would sit about in here. This unit gets broke apart. The burner screen comes out. Mm-hmm. The new screen goes in. It's a, and this one is one piece, pops back in. Um, on the older version, which is the D5WS, it's a small screen about the size of a, about as big around as a pencil mm-hmm. and maybe about an inch long. Okay. But you have to take the unit apart. You have to inspect it, look for any damage, clean it, and then put it back together. A fairly simple process, and so are these. Um, we have a YouTube videos online and on our website on how to do that. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a YouTube video on this one as well. These are a little trickier because these uh, control modules that unsnap here are a little harder to work with. Mm. But um, but the way the furnace is built is, is far better than what we had before. So uh, I think, like I said, long term, if a person is out there two, three, four years, um, make a plan to maybe have a service. And it's easy for us to tell by just looking at the hours on it. If you're three or four years and you have 2,000 hours, no. You know, if you're three or four years and you got 7,000 hours, you know, you're getting time. Yeah. It might be time to plan that in. So, okay. And Eberschwacher has a number of service centers around the U.S., uh, around the world, actually. Um, they can service it or what some people do that really only trust us for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> um, they will pull the unit, send it to us. We'll turn and burn it the same day and send it back. Oh, wow. That's and cool. we usually do it probably cheaper than just about anybody. Wow. How much, how much if you don't mind me asking? For the service? Mm-hmm. For, this, for this service here, it's probably going to be 175 to 200 For our standard system right now, it's about 150 to 175 depending what they might or might not need as far as parts. Mm-hmm. But um, I think... Uh, and I'll know more once we uh, once we get into that. We just haven't we haven't had a service one, and it's been mm-hmm. well, it's been over a year, and okay. we've never had a service yet. So we've, we're going to be another year or so before we start seeing that happen. Yeah. So people can literally just drive here and get it serviced. Uh huh. We have um, we are set up for service. We have uh, two bays next door, and we have a bay over here in this building. So uh, if you schedule out right now, we're out about a week and a half, mm-hmm. and we have an AM or a PM appointment. And you can make a call and set it up and come in and we'll get her done. Nice. That's really awesome. And I forgot to mention that you're in Sandy, Oregon. We are. Yeah. And uh, if a lot of people will plan their vacation around something like this where if they're out in the area because but it's just a couple hours to come in and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly straightforward and easy. Cool. Um, so to move on to the next subject, let's uh, talk about troubleshooting. So let's say, because I'm full-time, I'm out and doing whatever somewhere, and my heater doesn't work. I get a bunch of fault codes. And then I've also been told that if you get white smoke out of the exhaust, that's the most common problem. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about, yeah, let's talk about the most common problem with that white smoke. So the white smoke is really a a service issue that you'd see. uh, You'll see it with this one eventually, too, but you see it with the D5WS right now. White smoke means that the screen has uh, eroded away enough that it can't get a proper burn. So white smoke in a furnace system is basically vaporized fuel. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, well, is my, is my coach going to burn down? No, because 
burnt diesel, if you look at it, is actually black. So if you have something burning black, that means it's on fire. What happens with diesel, because it's a fairly, it, it takes a lot of uh, heat to make it ignite. What it does is it vaporizes the fuel and it comes out as white smoke. So when you don't get a good burn, you're going to get white smoke. And that's usually an indicator that you need to service it. Okay. So when you start seeing that, it's time. So uh, indications, like if, because I'm, you know, going to be inside because it's cold and I won't be able to see the white smoke. So inside will it just not heat as well or what, it, what are um, the symptoms in, inside on that? What you'll, inside what will happen is you will, you'll, you'll feel cold air, right? And you're going to go restart the furnace and it may restart or it may not because of voltage or, or screen. Um, and again, the first thing I would do even on the D5 furnace is look at the code reader and the code reader is going to tell you what you know what your codes are and it's going to say you know combine it's going to say non-start because of uh running on high or it's going to give you a number and you look it up and it's going to tell you okay here's what my problem is and one of those is probably servicing and you not that you can't lose a component and it, it will tell you that whether it be a heat sensor or something else so like i said it's it's one of those things where how often do you service a unit that's kind of what it comes down to mm -hmm. um if you're full timing I would say once a year for the older furnace, mm -hmm. probably once every three years for the newer one. Okay. But the nice thing about the newer one now is you can exactly see how many hours run your furnace. Yeah. Whereas with the older furnace, you can't. We can. Yeah. But, but there's no way for you to know. Okay. The only way you know is when you start seeing white smoke. <laughs> and that would be anybody's furnace. I don't care if it's ours or anybody else's. Eventually, that screen's going to fail and it's just not going to start and you're going to see white smoke. Right. Um, what are some other common issues that you've seen? Um, I think the biggest common issue that we, the biggest uh, issue we see with these furnaces is, is really probably three things. One is um, fuel. Um, it, every rig built at a quarter tank runs out of fuel. Mm -hmm. If you get below a quarter tank, it's just not going to start anymore. Um, two is voltage. Voltage is always an issue, um, even mm -hmm. with a, maybe not so much with a storyteller because they have a lot of capacity. But eventually, you can get to a point where you can get the voltage low enough that the furnace will fold. Hmm. Um, the other thing is uh, driving conditions. We've had a few customers, you know, call us up and say, "Gosh, my furnace won't run. I don't understand." And the first thing we'll say is, "You know, go underneath. Where you been? What are you doing?" And, well, I'm off-roading. Take a look underneath. We've seen everything from packed snow to packed mud. Mm. Yeah, you pack it. You pack them holes closed. It's <laughs> it's gonna, it's not going to run. So, okay. so those are really the three common ones. Okay. Nice. Um, so is there anything else that we should know? Or I f I'm not too familiar, obviously, as, as much as you are, but is there anything else that would be good to know about the system? I think that, um, I think that knowing what your system is doing and why it's doing is important, right? So for a lot of customers, they, they don't know really anything about their system. And then until it, they see white smoke, and then they think it might be something burning, and that's just not what it is. It's just it's time to service it. So number one, that would be the most important. Um, if you've had your system for over a year, might be time to get it looked at. If it's the older D5, if it's this one, we don't mind anymore because with the new system, we could just get on the phone and we can see. I can see. I can tell you on the Wi-Fi with this furnace. I can tell you if that furnace has fuel. I can tell you what the voltage is. I can tell you how hot it is. I can tell you everything I need to know is right there in front of me. And that has really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really helped a lot. I bet. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. Um, 
I like to finish every podcast with uh, one question, and that is, what does it mean for you to be part of the Stowe Nation community? Well, I guess, you know, we started, we started in the RV industry in 97, all class A's, and we started in the, uh, the Sprinter classes in about 2008, and we, we kind of built this market. We were the first ones to do it. And, it, and it's hard, you know, when you see competition come along, it's hard to, you know, we, competition is good. It makes you better. Mm-hmm. And I don't hold that against anybody um, as long as we keep doing it better than anybody else. And, and really what it comes down to is if you look at the Internet and who we are, really it comes down to customer support. We have, I think, the best customer support of probably anybody out there if you listen to what people say about us. Because it's simple. You have a problem. We're here to fix it. It's just what we do. There, you know, if a builder has a problem, he gets to part that out that day if he needs it. He gets it overnight if he wants it. So we have the ability to do all this. We've been doing it for a long time. You know, we carry over a million dollars worth of inventory here. So we have product that a lot of people, they just can't get right now. We started stockpiling when this whole thing broke out with the pandemic. And so we kind of planned for it a little bit. So for us, I think uh, support for the customer and support for the builder is probably being number one. Nice. Well, that's a great way to end the podcast. Jim, I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming on to Stonation.